Welcome to Leap Listens. I'm Sarah McGregor. And I'm Roger Cadus. Well, we've got a real treat for you today. Our guest is a true employer brand pioneer and one of the industry's top influencers. After two decades in roles in human resources, including being global employer brand leader for Marriott International and the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, she spotted a major opportunity to build relationships with candidates and employees and founded Exaquio, the highly successful employer brand consultancy, where she is the CEO. Welcome to Leap Listens, Susan Lamotte. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for the kind introduction. So Susan, last year you wrote an article called Beyond EVP and you delivered a keynote presentation. And in this you stated that employment is no longer a simple exchange of pay and benefits for work and that when marketing employment, we shouldn't ignore the complex relationship employees have with work. What were the important relationships you're talking about? So often when we think about our relationships with employment, We think about it just as what is our relationship with the employer or the organization. But work is so much more multifaceted than that. So there's actually, based on our research, four dimensions to the employment relationship. First is that relationship with the organization, the overall relationship that you have. Do you trust the organization and does the organization trust you? Second is the relationship that you have with your leaders, the people who manage you. Do you respect them and do they respect you? Third is the relationship you have with your coworkers or your colleagues. Do they value you and do you value them? And then last is the relationship you have with your work, the actual job you do, the tasks you perform, the things you do every day on the job. And do you care about what you do? And do you feel that there's someone or something on the receiving end of that? Um, who ultimately cares about the value that you bring to work. And it's those four dimensions together that make up the employment relationship, not just you and the organization. Thank you. And I know that you talked about as well in that, the difference between um, a transactional relationship and I think it's a communal relationship. And you had a really good example about going for a coffee. Is Is that something you could just share with us? Well, sure. I drink my weight in coffee every day. Um, so it's an easy example to, to share. Um, whenever we think about going to get a cup of coffee, right, we have our favorite or the thing we really like. Um, for me lately, I've been drinking a lot of oat milk. So let's say I go to the local Starbucks here in Charleston, South Carolina in the U.S. I get my coffee with oat milk and it's delicious. I have a lovely exchange with the barista and then I leave and I go on about my day. Now, let's say Starbucks, for whatever reason, stops selling oat milk, and that's what I really enjoy. I'll just move on to the coffee shop down the street, perhaps, that does sell oat milk. Um, No harm, no foul. Starbucks just doesn't offer what I want anymore, and that's fine. It's just a transaction, an exchange of goods or services. That's how we've been treating employment all of these years as a transaction, a contract. But if you think about the other kind of relationship we talk about in research, which is called a communal relationship, that's a relationship based on a series of common goals. So we often think about a relationship we might have with a spouse or a partner as a communal relationship. And the big difference is that in a communal relationship, you stick around when times get tough. 
You don't say, oh, sorry, what I want isn't here anymore, so I'm headed down the street to find a new spouse or partner. Instead, you've got these common goals, you've got these roots, these things that strengthen the relationship and keep it strong. And so you fight or persevere through the bad times. And the idea here is that during the toughest times, the employees who have the strongest relationships will stick around. So during COVID, the way that your employer treated you during this very tough time is a perfect example of a communal relationship. Are you going to stick around? Or now that COVID seems to be waning and people are feeling more confident, are you going to abandon that relationship and just move on to the next one? And that's the key between the, the difference between these relationships. That's a really, really interesting point, Susan. And what evidence is there that this relationship approach has more value than the concept of a traditional proposition? So it's interesting. Over the years, when we trade in benefits, in pay, and we're having that exchange, it is very similar to the exchange of a transaction. And the evidence shows that when you take away a certain benefit or pay, and the relationship is only based on that pay, for example, then people leave. So I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, we were doing a focus group with a client, and there was a young man who had just gotten a series of four raises over the past 24 months. So every six months, this man who was working in an hourly role was getting a raise. Sounds great, right? However, the challenge is you've set this expectation now. He's built his relationship only on this raise. And what he said to us is, if I don't get another raise, if they don't keep giving me raises, I'm leaving. So that is the perfect example of qualitative evidence of what happens when we only root our relationships in the things that are driving the transaction. That gentleman didn't talk about his coworkers. He didn't talk about the job he did. He didn't talk about his leaders and how they, how those leaders may or may not have supported him. It was all about the pay. And even if pay is really important to you, which it is to so many people, you still have to pay people well but also find other things to root the relationship. Can't hang your hat on just one thing. And um, this feels like a fairly significant shift away from some current thinking. So as a very well-respected employer brand consultancy, what's that meant for the way that Exacrio approaches their employer brand projects? Employer brand is still a relatively new discipline. The term was only coined in the 90s. And so over the past several decades, we've built the industry based on mirroring a lot of what our colleagues in marketing do. And there's lots to learn there. And a lot of the things that we've done have worked really well, especially when it comes to things like market research and really understanding the audience. But what marketing does when they sell a product, right, like a cup of coffee, is they develop a value proposition. That's the three, four five core attributes about why that coffee or why that Starbucks experience is better than another one or why you should choose that one. The challenge is that marketing is selling to the many, right? They're starting out. If you take a triangle and you flip it upside down, they're starting at the bottom. You know, Starbucks started with just a couple of stores and they expand. They want to have as many as possible and sell as much of that coffee to as many customers as they can. But employment is different. Our funnel is the other way. We're starting at the bottom and we're narrowing our choices down and candidates are narrowing those choices down. So what we really feel like is important for our industry to, to do is to shift away from this notion of value proposition, of just trying to sell two or three things as an employer. 
Because one, when you sell just two or three things, you're creating something or you're creating an employment experience that you're trying to make vanilla to attract everybody at once. And what we know now, especially post-COVID, the effect of the social justice movement, particularly here in the Western world, what that's meant is that it's amplified this idea that people really want individualized or personalized employment experiences. So instead of just selling two, three things, we need to really think about the complexity of these multifaceted relationships that employees have and begin to really customize our employer brands to reach them rather than just hanging our hat on a value proposition. With that in mind, what's the first step companies should take to adopt this relationship-based approach? First and foremost is doing some research. And I don't mean just a random survey or relying on employee engagement data. It's really trying to understand what we at Exequio call the whole self. So marketers, for example, when they um, do their market research, they learn everything about you. So Starbucks, Apple, the big brands we all know, they know everything about me. They know how much I make, how many kids I have, what I consume, both food and beverage, but also content. They know it all. When it comes to employment, the only data we can to collect about our employees is from the time they walk in the door to the time they leave. We don't really know who they are as humans. So the first step is to do a really robust market research effort, either on your own or with a partner like us, to make sure that you truly understand who your employees are. How do they feel? What do they prioritize? And get that data to reflect their entire life. And you can do that simply by shifting the kinds of questions you ask. Don't just ask them questions about work. Find out where they're spending their time outside work. Find out what they value personally. Find out who influences them in the job search. We're so focused on digital relationships right now and digital branding, marketing, marketing and advertising. That's all really important. But we forget that candidates have anywhere between eight and 20 influences in the journey to take and keep a job. And so it's really important we understand who offline are they talking to? And you can use that whole research set to start to inform how you're actually going to brand and market the employment experience. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a really, really such good valuable information. Um, Susan, I've got going to go slightly off topic here because Exacquio has and, and has always been a, a virtual business. I know, I know you've got an office now, but ultimately um, that's the way that you've built it. Um, so during the pandemic, did you see really no change in the way that you operated? It's interesting. We At first, we didn't see much change, although the pandemic, because it personally affected so many of us, it brought us together closer as a team because we were trying to navigate schedules and challenges. Many of us on the team are working parents like myself. I have two young children. And so navigating homeschooling, um, how to work, when to work, what the new levels of interactions and schedules of interactions were, how we'd rely on each other. All of that changed within our insular team. That was the first thing. The second thing that changed is prior to COVID, we didn't use much video. We were entirely virtual, but we mostly relied on voice. We had the video technology, of course. We just didn't use it very often. Our clients didn't use it very often. Once COVID hit, I think people felt this need to see each other visually. And so now we use video quite a bit more than we did before. I think we also, lastly, are reminded of the importance of being connected. So it almost made us closer as a team in a way because it forced us to say, gosh, 
we really are lucky that we can work virtually, that we can have teams all over the world that we're working with, colleagues all over the world, and yet we still can get our work done. So how can we make sure we're not missing out, just like practice what you preach, on the personal things about individuals? So spending more time on the front end of calls, talking about what's going on at home, talking about you know the things that we're reading, the things that we're watching on, on television, things like that, just to connect us better as, as humans. Now, I, I do like an analogy, Susan, so I'm going to throw this one at you, which is that but given that you, you know, exactly had been working virtually for some years before, was it annoying to you when you had lots of people coming up with lists of how to do virtual? And was it a bit like if you've been a vegan for ages, and then suddenly someone's watched a, a documentary on Netflix telling you about an amazing meat substitute. Did, did it feel a bit like that? Be honest. A little bit. It sure did. And I, I think I think the harder part to take was the people who started saying, you know, we need to keep tabs on our employees or we can't do this forever or this is, you know, this is impossible or my I, you know, I don't think my employees are working at home. The crazy stories of organizations who are monitoring their employees to make sure that they were working. That's the kind of thing that surprised us and shocked us even more, because for us, it had been a way of life for almost a decade. And so we were used to it. And, you know, part of that is our core values. You've got to have that sense of trust and accountability. And when you have that sense of trust and accountability, people then do get their work done. And I I think, too, there's an element just of recognizing that the world has changed now. And so we're not going back. We all know that. We're never going back to being 100% in the office, Um, even for employers that require it. There are many employees that will say, forget about it, and they'll just leave. So we we smile a little bit, tongue in cheek. You know, it, it is what it is. We kind of pat ourselves on the back. We've been doing this for a while. We try not to be too American about it, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you, Susan. That was a really, really interesting chat with lots of takeaways. You, you probably won't believe that we're at time. Can you believe Well, thank it? you so much for having me. <laughs> Oh, oh, it's, it's a pleasure. Always yeah. a pleasure. It was great to great to chat to you. Thanks, Susan. Oh, awesome. I... Thank you. That was really fascinating, wasn't it? How the EVP has really evolved, hasn't it, into um, into more relationship management. Absolutely. And I suppose um, before we get into that, um, Susan, you know, what a what a legend. Yeah. But right. yeah, what she was saying was fascinating. And I suppose it is that, as you said, an evolution beyond just um transactional nature of employment to looking at deeper relationships and what different relationships at work mean to different people yeah because it is going to be different things isn't it like if you're in a call center for example your relationship with your employer is going to be very different than if you are a senior person in accounts yeah absolutely and then all that ties back into some of the things that we've talked about in previous podcasts about the relationship they have with the brand that you're working for and whether you believe in their purpose and that's a relationship too yeah excellent good well i don't think we need to say a great deal more susan covered so much with that didn't she yeah she was brilliant so yeah that's a wrap cheers thanks for listening